welcome to the Canadian Space Society podcast, Space A. I'm your host, Mahima Kapoor. And for the final episode of the year, we're going to be talking about a topic we've certainly explored a bit over the last two seasons, which is human spaceflight and exploration. So human space exploration and settlement beyond Earth has always been a hot topic, even preceding the space age. So establishing human colonies on the moon or terraforming Mars have long been just conversations and something we see in sci-fi films. However, these discussions have now become more real with an increase in both commercial and government investments in human spaceflight projects. So while we're still a ways away from any kind of temporary or permanent human settlement in space, it's an incredibly fun thought experiment we can do with those working in the field to figure out practical solutions for this. And who better to talk to about habitability in space than the people who might one day help us design those spaces. So today we've got on our podcast, um, Satch Graywell, who is currently pursuing his Master of Architecture degree from Carleton University. And as a budding architect, his interest lies in integrating creative design solutions with sustainability. Coolest outcome of such research is exploring applications in which designers' creativity is challenged and they may need to come up with some out-of-the-box or out-of-the-world solutions. So today we explore a new aspect of space on our podcast by chatting with Such, who can give us some insights into habitat design in space and the challenges that come with it. Hi, Such. How are you doing? Hi. Thank you for having me. I'm good. Good. Thanks for being on our podcast today. So my very first question for you is tell us a little bit more about your background and how you got interested in space and this kind of niche space architecture in the first place. Yeah, so I feel like I've always been interested in space and in architecture. It started when I was a kid. I feel like I've always been interested in science fiction films. Um, I used to make these Star Wars Lego spaceships when I was a kid. Uh, deconstruct them, make them make different iterations. And I think at an early age, that kind of sparked my interest in science fiction, but also just the craft of making and designing things. And then later on, as I grew up, that interest in design sort of led me to architecture as a career path. Uh, I've had the amazing opportunity to work at a few architectural firms in the GTA, mostly in the design of condo buildings, but also some institutional and commercial products as well. And now, like I like you mentioned, I'm in the Master of Architecture program at Carleton. And so for my thesis, I wanted to go back to my love of space in some ways, uh, looking at the habitation of Mars and the Martian vernacular. Very cool. Yeah, all of that sounds super interesting. And it's really cool how you kind of combine both of your interests. I was super curious to ask you, what are some big open questions or challenges? Um, like when you did your thesis, was there anything that popped up where you were like, okay, that's a really cool problem that I'd like to solve in the habitat design space? Yeah, so like the first thing that comes to mind in terms of like space habitation is like the first thing is getting there right getting to a place like mars right so <laughs> spacex has reusable rocket technologies now and suddenly like the economics of it are all start are starting to work out uh, which is awesome uh, but the first question is obviously like logistics and once we actually arrive we're talking and we're talking about like temporary or permanent settlements uh, one of the first things that astronauts will need is a place to live and so the idea is that NASA or whatever agency is taking on this mission will send the supplies needed to make a habitat, but also just like the necessary life support systems beforehand, before astronauts arrive. Um, and there's sort of a debate on on what the best 
uh, habitat for astronauts might look like. One idea is they might be extensions of Mars landers. Other iterations have that like inflatable structures or domes uh, as well, but domes are slightly more speculative because they require heavier payloads. Um, but recently, uh, NASA had a 3D printed habitat challenge in 2018 uh, to sort of solve that problem of logistics. And the idea behind that challenge was to completely 3D print structures autonomously before astronauts arrive. And this method would obviously like reduce large payloads. And essentially, it works with what's available on the planet, any, any place we visit. So the idea is that rovers could collect Martian regolith, break it down, mix it with like a biopolymer and essentially 3D print these habitats. Um, and the challenge with that is one, getting the technology to a point where we can actually print these things without human interference, like completely autonomously. Uh, and we're actually doing it. So like companies like AI Space Factory, who are actually the winners of this NASA 3D printed competition are really like pushing boundaries in this area. And I think the work that they're doing is really important. And one of the biggest questions they're asking is to think about like psychological well-being also as being something mission critical in addition to these like pragmatic life support systems for habitats. Yeah, super cool. Because that was going to be my next question is like, what are some other cool engineering solutions? We've got 3D printing. Is there anything else that you guys are currently exploring right now as viable living options? The other main option is sort of like these like infla inflatable structures. Uh, so there's been a few pro proposals that roll structures and then that are surrounded by 3D printed shells. The idea is that these like inflatable structures sort of are put onto places like Mars beforehand. When astronauts arrive, they pump them up um, and then something is covering it so that people can actually be protected against like UV rays. Another option is obviously just like the typical sort of um, habitat you would see like on the ISS, which are these like closed systems that have everything integrated that you would need, right? Like life support systems, mechanical, electrical systems. Um, but the problem with those is that they're really like constricting almost in many ways and that's why 3d printing is sort of is this sort of it's sort of like the accepted method now because it deals with psychology in many ways right it gives people spatial yeah. options cool yeah and that's like a perfect segue into something that you explored a little bit through your thesis was this aspect of psychological well-being for people who are living there and also designing their space to be comfortable in that you know, so that to minimize some of those psychological effects. So um, why is it so important firstly to consider um, psychological well-being of the astronauts and the people living there? And how do spaces kind of deal with that, even like in our current homes, I guess, um, where we live and how we live impacts the way we behave and think. Um, but how does that change in space? I was wondering about that. Yeah. So my thesis is called the Martian vernacular. Uh, psychological mm -hmm. well-being and closed world architectures. So I did a bunch of precedent studies looking at Earth-based Mars simulation. The problem with these Earth-based Mars simulations is that they're, they're designed in a way to just meet the critical systems needed for survival, right? Mm -hmm. So they, they function really well in terms of their mechanical, electrical, and life support systems. But when you throw people into the mix, it really affects their psychology. So for example, there was a project uh, called Mars 500 in Moscow, and it was it was an experiment. It was a psychospatial ex experiment done between uh, 2007 and 2011, so a few years ago. These astronauts or these volunteers were living in this space for 500 days, and essentially, it's like this closed habit in this habitat is like is a larger sort of like factory that supports it. This habitat has no windows. The only thing it has are these like critical spaces for like a greenhouse, uh, a workspace, 
sleep pod, a small leisure space. And the problems with it were that people felt that they were in isolation. They're, they felt constricted in many ways. Mm-hmm. And the people that got along really well, but they missed these like basic human needs of like social connectivity. They missed their families. Uh, they missed communicate, communicating with people outside of the habitat. Like um, there's obviously a time delay when you go to somewhere like Mars, there's like a 20 minute time delay between Earth and Mars. So they actually simulated these things within the habitat. And those things really get to you, right? So one of the things I was looking at were like the interviews of these people that were living in these habitats and uh, the interviews asked, um, like, what's the, what's the biggest thing you miss, right? And the normal answer were things like, yeah, they miss their families. And then there was one person that said, and it was kind of funny that this one person said they really miss fried chicken. So like, <laughs> it's, it's things that you don't think about, right? But it's actually a pretty like, it's a really good answer. Because if you think about astronauts and like the food that they eat, they're not going to be eating gourmet meals, right? They're going to be missing home-cooked chicken. <laughs> they're going to be missing home-cooked meals. And that's things that habitats have to think about right it's, it's like obviously you can't provide these things in many ways right mm-hmm. but you can think about how spaces impact those things right um and provide people with options with spatial options um another mm-hmm. habitat i was looking at was high seas so the architect that designed that habitat said yeah. that the the biggest like gap that he found with the habitat that he's that he designed was that it was really inward looking so the, the, mm. one of the the biggest problems with with space uh, habitats is that there's there's this idea of isolation and the default to thinking about dealing with isolation is to create these like communal spaces within the habitat but you also think about privacy like people can't be social all the time right so you have to allow for that that flexibility within these spaces so that they're not just inward looking and and you Mm -hmm. actually give options to people to go into their bedroom and actually get away from the people that they're only with right yeah. so that's that was one of the the options the the problems was, in his opinion was dealing with that flexibility in these spaces and and now you're sort of seeing more habitats integrate mobility into their habitats as well movable walls multifunctional spaces um, mm-hmm. things that spaces that do double duty in many ways, right? So the same sort of problem with these spaces is also the same solutions, right? The problem is that they're extremely um, constricting and then they have multiple functions and you can't get away, but it's also about designing for flexibility and allowing um, areas of connectivity and and isolation as well. Right. And I feel like as you were talking, I was thinking the pandemic is kind of a good case study for some of these behavioral things as well, because it's literally that it's like an enclosed space. And we're all like stuck with each other who live with your family. And it's, yeah, it's that same kind of connectivity, yet you want isolation and like certain hours just to yourself. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I wonder if they'll learn stuff and apply that to some of the space missions that happen. Yeah, absolutely. So like, I feel like during the pandemic, you've that applies perfectly right like mm-hmm. your bedroom is often like your workspace and like it's hard to get that separation sort of like one of the the major problems for me anyways was trying to get that separation from my desk to my bed and but also how can how, how can that be applied to somewhere like space right so in many cases your workspace is your leisure space in, in these habitats right so 
how can they be designed in a way that has flexibility? Maybe the desk also turns into a chair. Maybe the desk also mm-hmm. turns into a bed or something, right? There's opportunities there that have can learn from. Very cool. Okay, so that was a really fun conversation. I do have another fun question for you, which I don't know if you'll have an answer to, but I'm going to ask it anyways. I was thinking about this and sort of like way into the future when there's like legit human colonies in space and there's already like, you know, random things cropping up about you can buy land on Mars and the moon and this is all like pre-development. But I was wondering, like, do you think location, location, location will be a factor in space real estate? I was wondering if you guys have ever thought about that. Or space real estate in general. Like, is there any like guidance and what it might look like? Yeah, I feel like location is super important. I feel like it would be great if a millionaire could buy a property and it could look oversee like, all these amazing landscape on Mars. I feel like that that there's definitely a future there. Um, but that's definitely like like maybe hundreds of years into the future and it's not going to happen right away. The first Martian settlements are going to be probably very humble and you most likely won't have like a pool <laughs> in your backyard. Yeah. <laughs> but it would be awesome if that one day that could be a possibility. Uh, maybe once we terraform Mars, maybe a thousand years from now, you know, who knows what you would, you'd have palm trees in your backyard maybe too. So that could be kind of cool. Um, but yeah, in terms of like location and the first settlements, NASA has looked at like the, the, the key sort of options for the first settlement, uh, for the first location on Mars to build a settlement. For those settlements, it, it's usually where water is, is, is available. So we know that Mars has subsurface water ice and most likely, we'll build a habitat, uh, our first settlement around that that area so we can actually like source groundwater um, to support the habitat we also want to look at places that have a thicker atmosphere so mars has a pretty thin atmosphere already but mm-hmm. low-lying areas and like in the northern highlands of, of mars near arcadia planitia is where nasa's thinking so that area has slightly a thicker atmosphere because it's low-lying and so when spacex actually lands these rockets they'll be able to have like a cushion uh, to actually support a safe landing and these low lowlands also have areas of basalt rock formations which is great for 3d printing that's another thing that nasa and spacex are looking at um, in terms of location yeah that that's super cool to think about because also I guess a big interest of yours is sustainability so yeah that's cool to think that you can use the resources that are there as well as 3d print stuff new and then use all of that to build some of these structures for livable spaces so that's cool that's really cool to think about that was basically all my questions for you Satch. thanks so much much for being on our podcast today. Do you want to add anything to our listeners? Our audience is mostly young students. So I think it's cool that you're also a student. And I think a lot of people might have these dual interests as well, where they're looking to integrate everything that they do in their day-to-day lives and figure out, okay, how does this apply to space? Because that's where um, a lot of things are headed. Um, Even for us working in the biotech space, there's often experiments and stuff that we can send out to space and have it done there. So I think everyone's kind of thinking about this in the back of their minds as space research in general advance. Um, So I was wondering if you wanted to add anything or say anything to students out there listening on career paths or maybe just lessons learned from your journey. I think the biggest thing is just follow your passions. If you're really interested in space and you can integrate that into your your career path uh, or like that you're really interested in, like architecture and space don't always go together like outer space. But Mm -hmm. I found a correlation with my thesis that made sense for me. So if 
if you're really interested in, in, in Mars or if you're interested in space and there's something that you could probably solve or get your hands on, then I don't know, <laughs> get into it. <laughs> I think it's important to follow your passions. So that's, that's all I can really say. Thank you so much for being on our podcast today. I had a lot of fun chatting with you, Seth. Yeah, I had a lot of fun too. Thank you so much. Stay tuned for uh, more exciting episodes from the Canadian Space Society. Bye.